Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. We're starting this series called Just Your Average Joe. Now, here's what's interesting about this Uh, What you'll see, the images you'll see throughout this series are going to remind you of what it means to be average, okay? So if you see a pair of tennis shoes and you're like, I have those shoes, it's because you're average. If you're like, I drink that kind of coffee, it's because you're average. It's because most of our life is done average. In fact, I'd say this, we live in a culture that tells you be extraordinary, be above average, okay? Which technically a B is above average, but you see what I'm saying? Like they're just telling you all the time, be greater than, and here's what I tell you. I'm not saying don't pursue that stuff. What I am telling you is that most of your life is average. It's day-to-day faithfulness. This is most of your life, right? Most of your life is actually how do I engage with the people around me, and it doesn't feel extraordinary. It just feels average Joe or Josephine, right? Okay, so it just feels average, And that's what I want to talk to you about, is not to despise the season you're in. In praying about um, the month of October, and I know October starts tomorrow, and we started this like one day early, but it's okay. But in praying about the month of October and what to teach, here's what I will just confess that I know about our church. So many of us have different places we wish we were right now in our lives. We actually wish we've arrived differently. Uh, We have a lot of people who are single that wish that they're married. We have a lot of people who have jobs that they wish they had a different job. We have a lot of people looking for housing that wish that they live somewhere different. We have a lot of people that you just wish your season of life was a little bit different. And I believe and am convicted that if we understand we are average Joes and Josephines, okay, we're average Joes, if we stop despising the season we're in, we'll bear fruit. God will bear more and more fruit in that season. But if we resist the season we're in and we start thinking things like, this just feels average and I hate it. I want the extraordinary. I want the next best thing. The grass is always greener on the other side. Whatever way you're thinking about it, I I think that that's not biblical. I think there are lessons we can learn from the average Joes in the Bible. And that's what we're going to be talking about. In this series, we're going through the, the Josephs in the Bible, the different Josephs. So the one we're talking about today is Joseph, son of Jacob in the Old Testament. And so this is kind of the thing that we're going to be saying. The reason we feel average, can you throw that next slide up there? Just your average, Joe. I feel average because I am constantly waiting on God. I don't know about you, but this is actually when I feel most average. And I feel like nothing is happening as I'm just going, just waiting on God. Things are out of my control. I'm waiting. And Joseph in the Old Testament actually shows us what it means to wait on God in a way that it might feel average, it might feel like this is day-to-day, and for him it might have taken, I think, around 22 years. Um, But just to let you know, it's the faithfulness that you have in the average days and seasons in your life that will reveal the secret things of God. Okay? It's the faithfulness that you have in the average day-to-day of your life that will reveal the secret things of God. If God cannot trust us with the day-to-day average Joe, if he can't trust us with that, why would he reveal the secret things that we so long to see? We must be faithful in the day-to-day. And that means in waiting. And let me just tell you this. If you go, well, 
Well, what about like Jesus? Jesus lived this extraordinary life. He did. He did. Don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching against extraordinary things. But you realize that was three years of Jesus' life. 30 years of his life were probably average. Probably felt very average. He was a carpenter. He was part of his community. He's part of his local synagogue. It probably felt very average. Okay? You have people like Abraham. You go, Abraham, he lived like an extraordinary life. Yeah, but 75 years, give or take, of waiting. I mean, what, what we're talking about is there are blips on our radar of extraordinary seasons and things happening. But the day-to-day average way of living is actually where your faithfulness comes in. Now, there's a story. I was actually talking with a friend uh, that goes to church here. And uh, he saw me at a coffee shop, which is probably where you can find me most days, okay? Um, getting above average Joe, okay? So go to Downpours, and you're going to find, like, the best coffee, and I'll be there to, I'll buy you a cup. If you come in this week and you see me there, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. But we're there, and we're talking about this, and he said, you know, this reminds me of Brother Lawrence. And uh, Brother Lawrence is an a old Christian mystic that um, someone who experienced God was known for his experience with God. But there's this famous story with Brother Lawrence where he's washing dishes, and there's a, other monks who are praying at the altar, and they go up to him and they say, Brother Lawrence, come pray. We're praying. And he flips out while washing dishes. And what he says is, I am communing with God, washing dishes. Why would I go to the altar and pray? Isn't that weird? What he's saying is, the average day-to-day, I'm with God. Why do I need to, like, do what you're— I'm with God on the average day-to-day. And so there's this small book about Brother Lawrence's life. If you want to learn what it's like to live average, but you're always communing with God. That's what we're talking about. Lessons from the Josephs in the Bible, okay? So this is what we'll be talking about today. I feel average because I'm constantly waiting on God. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray about this topic because this is a, uh, this is a big topic. This is a topic, actually, that deserves its own teaching series. Uh, Lord, we thank you. There are people in all different stages of life waiting on you for all different things. And so, Father, I just ask right now, in our waiting, would you help us to learn from you and how you've acted in the past? Help us to be uh, responsive to you, and may we be faithful. So what feels average, day-to-day, doesn't feel extraordinary, doesn't mean you're silent, it doesn't mean that you're still, it doesn't mean that you're not working. You are in the average, Lord. You are with us. And so, Lord, be with us tonight. Encourage your people, God. Those of us who are waiting, would you visit us and speak to us? And if we're wrestling with questions, may we be honest and bold enough to put those forward as a community. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know, uh, I, I do know about you, but I'm going to act like I don't. Most people, m- most people hate waiting. Now, if you like waiting, if you like waiting in lines, you, are, you already are an extraordinary person, okay? This is not going to apply to you. But for the other ones of us that we hate waiting, it's lines, it's in traffic. Uh, if you are the person that you don't care what lane you're sitting in, you're just going to, if all the other lanes are going and you are perfectly content because you picked the slowest lane, 
this is not going to apply to you, okay? But to the other ones that were always trying to go around. The other day I was taking a lift, and I was sitting in the car, and the lift driver was talking to me, and I'm watching traffic go by, and he picked the slowest lane. And I realized how much I hate waiting because I shut off all conversation as I'm watching everything go by. And I finally had to say, bro, you can, you can get in another lane. It's okay. You can, you can, we have two miles. And he said, oh, okay, okay. I realize I'm very impatient, very impatient. Waiting is really hard. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to kind of take a quiz as a church, okay? Here's the first one. Can you throw that question up there? You're at a toll booth, and the driver of the car in front of you is having an extended conversation with the toll booth operator. Everybody's dream come true, okay? This is, here, here's A. Here's option A. You are happy. I think it's fine. You don't care. You're just happy. Here's option number uh, letter B. You think of things that you'd like to say to the toll booth operator. Now, for some of you, you're going, oh, I can think of things. For others of you, more Christ-like people, you're going, I, th- I-, I think we should have like a toll booth operator small group, a meetup, okay? So nobody's thinking that. Okay, that's B, and here's C. You attempt to drive your vehicle between the other person's car and the toll booth. It's not, listen, if you're judging that, Um, you've never been stuck in a toll booth. Okay, scenario is number two. You've been sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's office for an hour. How do you respond? A, you're grateful for the chance to catch up on the 1993 Reader's Digest. You're so excited, okay? B, you tell the other patients you have a very highly contagious and fatal disease and attempt to empty the waiting room. It's possible. C, you yell that you are dying, okay? Okay, these are options. If you're, if you're tempted to not wait in your life, this is normal, and this is easy. This is easy stuff that we can talk through that we all kind of land at sea. Here's what's not easy. You've been waiting on God because you thought that you were gonna be married by now, and you're not married by now, and things relationally haven't been working out. That's not easy. Here's what's not easy, is you and your spouse have been asking God for additions to your family. Maybe you're in an adoption, maybe you're trying to have kids, and it's not happening. And you're going, well, I don't, know, I don't quite know what's going on. That's not easy. That's not playful, and there's not a lot of options there other than to wait. And, and maybe, here's another one, maybe you're here and you're going, I'm actually waiting on God because the job that I have, I feel like I'm not being used to my potential, and I wish that my potential was being utilized, but it's not. And does God not care that I'm not used? I want to be used for his kingdom, but something is happening, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting. That's frustrating. So toll booths, we can deal with toll booths, we can deal with doctor's offices, but the actual waiting that takes place in our life, nothing makes me feel more average in my life than when I'm waiting on God. I feel very average. I don't feel extraordinary. I feel like God's not doing anything. I feel like he's still. In fact, this is the way that one person put it. Waiting is our destiny. Listen to this. Waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Right? And here's what's more frustrating. Um, The Bible actually tells us time and time again, wait on the Lord. 
wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. And you're like, ah, this is like the most frustrating. One of them is in Psalm 130. I don't have this up here, so you're going to have to listen. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. My soul waits for the Lord. It's like when you have to get so repetitive, you're trying to convince yourself of something that you don't want to do. My soul is waiting for the Lord. Here's another one, Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. So the psalmist has not yet seen the goodness of the Lord, okay? There's no light at the end. I remain confident I'm going to see in the land of the living. And then he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The times that we're told to wait for the Lord, it's difficult. So what does it mean to wait for God? Well, James 5 tells us uh, to be patient and wait on God as a crop waits to produce fruit. And then, and then it actually says this, and the way that we know we're actually waiting on God and we're with Him in our waiting and He's with us in our waiting is that we're not grumbling. So the the perspective that James has is going, and we're not sitting there complaining time and time again because we're waiting on the Lord. We're not grumbling. We're walking alongside God, and we're waiting on Him and for Him. So this is where it becomes really hard, and I don't think there's a better story that we can talk about feeling more average when we're waiting on God. Now, here's what I'd want us to do. Pause for a second. Think about the thing that you're waiting for God to act in, okay? Think about it, and get, get that in your mind. So there's a ton of different perspectives that people have on this, and there's a ton of different reasons why you'd be waiting. But what is one thing that you say, I am waiting on God here? I'm not talking about something that you, if you've caused, like, hardship in your life, of course, there are ways to go back and, and to mend that and reconcile those sorts of things. But I'm talking about you are, it's out of your control and other people might have caused it. So what is that thing that you're waiting on God? And I don't think there's a better Joseph in the Bible to teach us about this than Joseph, uh, son of Jacob in the Old Testament. Now his, his story is found in Genesis, but I'm going to go to Psalms because Psalm, the psalmist, when talking about God, recounts the Joseph story. So this is Psalm 105. This is what we just um, read. Let's go ahead and read this. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. So this is, this is talking about God is doing something in the land, and we'll get into the life of Joseph here in a second, so, but we're going to learn from an average Joe, okay? We're going to learn from Joseph. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. God did. He destroyed all the provision. Notice who's doing this. Is God doing this. God's doing this for a reason. We'll talk about that. He sent a man before them, Joseph, average Joe, Okay? He's Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Let's keep going. Until the time. So until the time, think of those three words. Until the time. If the Bible's right and true, there's, there is a timing aspect to why we wait. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. 
It's really hard because it's not that all of our waiting is a test from the Lord, but in this situation it was. And so we're going to talk about that. That there are times where God is allowing us to go through a test. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach the elders wisdom. So it starts with, you can kind of recap the Joseph story. You can see Joseph, something's going on that God's doing hard, like a allowing hardship to come in, and then we see that there is some sort of prosperity that's happening in Joseph's life. But the time in between only feels like a few verses, but is actually decades of what's taking place, waiting that's taking place. As I said before, think of Jesus's life, 30 years of faithful average, three years that we preach all the time of extraordinary life. If you're in a season where you're saying, I'm waiting, I feel, I feel below average, I don't actually feel used by God at all, you are in good company. Good company. What we've done, that's, we've done real poor in the church, is we have pointed you to the extraordinary stories and said, this is everyday life. Now, I actually don't think this is everyday life. I think when you look at passages, you go, no, everyday life feels average and faithful. Okay? And then there are these moments of great triumph and victory. Even the Christian mystics, okay, the ones who believed uh, in God, and then, and then they would have these experiences. Julian of Norwich is a real famous one, um, but some people would consider the Apostle Paul to be one because Paul experienced Christ in the bright light, and this changed his life, all those sorts of things. One of the things that they have, and forgive me, I'm going to go to C.S. Lewis, okay? One of the things that they have that is... Um, that is common to all of them is not that they had divine experiences. One of the things that they have is that they had faithfulness in the day-to-day. C.S. Lewis was asked before, are you a mystic? Would you consider yourself a mystic when writing about Narnia and the way you experience God? And he said, no. He said, the reason I'm not a mystic, and he actually says, do not call me a mystic. And the reason he says that is not because he hasn't had a divine experience. He said, I haven't been faithful enough in the day-to-day. That's the mark of someone who would have an experience. I haven't been faithful enough in the day-to-day. I haven't learned the art of being average. And what we talk about now is the waiting game, okay? So I want to talk to you about uh, two reasons why I think that we wait on God from the Joseph story. And then we're going to actually pray together and wait on God and like surrender the time frame, whatever the time frame is that we're in. We're going to do that together. Here's, here's the first reason. God has us waiting because he's doing something bigger than you. Okay? And he, here's what's hard about this whole thing. It's happening to you. Okay? The plan's bigger than you, but the actual frustration and suffering is happening to you. If you notice in, in the scripture, what it says is that Uh, God sent Joseph before them. So before his brothers, God sent Joseph. God had this plan of how Joseph was going to influence the people and how his influence was going to be over a king at that time. And when his brothers came together, Joseph had something that he had to say to them. And his brothers were fearful because here's what happened. Here's the background of Joseph. Joseph is the kind of guy that he... 
uh, he was his father's favorite. He had a coat of many colors. You, you, you might remember that from Sunday school. If you don't, that's okay. Just picture a rainbow coat on Joseph. And Joseph tells his brothers, essentially, he is his father's favorite. And then Joseph has these dreams. And in these dreams, uh, he has two dreams. One of the dreams is that his father and his mother and his brothers, the sun and the moon and the stars, are actually bowing down to Joseph. Now, let me just tell you this. I don't know if you have siblings or not, but the one thing you don't want to do is to tell your siblings, I had a dream that you serve me. Like, I had a dream that you're bowing down to me. Okay, it's very annoying. Okay, so whatever you want to think about Joseph, if you go, he's an awesome character. He was probably a very annoying brother. Okay? And then, and then his brothers, they put him in this pit. They catch him in this pit. And then they go, well, should we kill him? Should we not kill him? And then Judah, one of his brothers, says, how about we sell him to the Ishmaelites? So they sell him. Now, I don't, this is the worst family dynamic. I know we all have family dynamics going on, but in, unless you've been sold by your brother, we, which we can pray about afterwards, but if you've been sold by your brother, you feel Joseph's pain. But just imagine you're sold by your brothers, and then, you're, and then your brothers go out and say, Joseph has died. And Joseph now is in captivity Joseph kind of climbs the corporate ladder, so to speak, with Potiphar and is able to interpret dreams and has a personality that Potiphar likes. And then Joseph is, um, Potiphar's wife comes on to Joseph. Joseph says no, and she claims that Joseph raped her even though he didn't, and then he goes into prison, okay? So just a quick recap, quick recap. What's fascinating about this whole entire story is that in Psalm 105, God sent Joseph. Brothers sold Joseph. God did the sending. The way that he went into a waiting time was one of the most frustrating and unjust ways that he could go into it, okay? Which this is what's hard, is when we're in a time of waiting, we go, yeah, but it was other people who have caused this in my life, right? The other people have done it. It wasn't my decision. This is outside of my situation, outside of my control. And what we find here is that Joseph's like, he's in prison. And to make things worse, to make things worse, um, one of the, gel- the cellmates, there's two of them, one of them gets out and Joseph says, hey, can you petition for me to get free? And the cellmate doesn't petition. What's worse is when you actually think there's hope. You go, I I think there's an end in sight in this time of waiting, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's really hard. God has us waiting because he's doing something bigger than us. The story, the role Joseph plays in the story of Israel and Egypt is much bigger than Joseph. And what's really difficult is it's happening to him. But if we're to be honest... The world does not revolve around Preston. As much as I want to think it does, okay, and don't judge me, you think the world revolves around you, we all think the world revolves around us, and when unjust things happen to us, we go, how dare you, the world, something's wrong with the world, this is happening to me, right? But it's, it's not, it doesn't revolve around you. There is a plan There's a plan and a purpose at work here. And what's so fascinating is God sent Joseph. Later on, well, it would be in Genesis, but I'm just saying later on in the story, Joseph is before his brothers. I think this is in chapter 45. Joseph is, in Genesis 45, Joseph is with his brothers. And Joseph 
uh, and his brothers, of course, are wondering, what is, what is Joseph going to do to us? You know, we, here's the prophecy come true. Do we bow down? Is he going to kill us? What did he do to the stars in his dream, right? And Joseph tells them, what you meant for evil, God has turned around for good. What's interesting is that the psalmist goes to when he's in prison. So he's saying, God did this and allowed this. It's part of a big plan that we don't fully see, and, and he's in prison. So you can't get to the prosperity part of Joseph. You can't get to this, you know, people will preach, Joseph was the second king. You can't get to the second in, in command. You can't get to that part without saying, no, no, but there, how much time of waiting did Joseph have to, have to go through? And I don't know if you've ever experienced a time where you say, I have been, I have been waiting for God to fulfill what I feel like he said. I have been waiting for so long. This has been a really hard, hard time of waiting. I feel average. I don't feel extraordinary. I thought I'd be at a different place. The relationship that I thought was going to work out doesn't work out now. That's crashed and burned. My family is not where I thought they'd be by now. My health and all this stuff. And I'm waiting and waiting. And here, here's what I would say with great compassion. The psalmist continues to drive our eyes to God. The world does not revolve around us. There's a bigger plan. Now, that doesn't mean God is causing all this. What it does mean is for some reason, this is allowed. The current status of what's going on in your life is allowed. We don't know the reason. We don't know the reason, but we do know that God's in control, okay? We know that God's in control. Think of it like this. When we're driving up the mountains, my parents have a place in Evergreen, which we go to often, and um, when, when you're driving up the mountains and around the road, all you can see is like the headlights, I don't know, 10 feet, given whatever you're driving, I'm talking Corolla, okay? So you can see 10 feet in front of you, and that's all you can see. And you, you got to go slow, and you're wondering what's around the corner, and, you're, and all you can do is go at a pace that you're not going to fly off the road. What I think when I look at the Joseph story, when, or when I look at waiting in general, what I think is I'm going, it's as if God has this bird's eye view, 30,000 foot view. Sometimes we don't have the headlight in front of us. We can't even see, and we got to listen to what he says. Take a left turn. Take a right turn. Take a left turn. Slow down. Sharp corner coming up. And we're listening to him, and we're getting really frustrated because we're like, I just want to, like, you said it's a straight and narrow. Just give me a straight road that I can take off on. And, and the process feels so much longer than it should feel. It's hard. And here's, here's what it actually says that God did to Joseph, that God's not doing to every one of us. I don't think that, but I just want to speak on the issue of Joseph. It actually says that one of the reasons that Joseph was waiting is that God was testing him. Do you remember that in the story? God was testing him. God was testing him. What, what is a test? A test is God allowing a difficult situation to come into your life for your spiritual formation, okay? It, this is a really difficult thing because I do not want to stand up here and say, no matter what you're going through, God is testing you. What I do want to say is, in this story, it's clear. It says God was testing him. There, there's so much that we could talk about about the idea that God sharpens us and makes us ready, but the, but the reality is this. You're looking towards the day that you finally have 
what you've been asking God for, like you're, you're waiting for that day, okay? The extraordinary thing, the non-average thing. Think about that. In your life, that, that situation right now, you're longing for that day, and you're going, that's, that's what I'm waiting for. Is it possible that God's preparing you for that right now? That you're in preparation mode? Is this possible? Is it possible that if you're going, why haven't, why hasn't, th- like things haven't worked out in my job and I want that position. Why did the other person get that position? Is it possible that God is preparing you right now? He's preparing you. Not in every situation. I want to be careful with that statement, but I just want you to know there are times where it's testing. When we moved here to, to plant a church, I remember, and I've told you guys this before, but I remember pacing the halls up at the house in Evergreen because we didn't have a place to live and going, we're never going to make it. This is my prayer, okay? This is like, welcome to reality. I just remember going, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. This is going to be really hard. I don't know how we're going to make it. I remember pacing the halls and then going, but God, you're good. I know you're good. But then, and I'm going back into despair mode, okay? I remember praying these prayers. And then I talked to someone who actually told me, a, a pastor who's church plan before, actually told me, hey, do you think, now, now he, hear me clearly. Do you think that God is making you the pastor that you need to be right now? You have to go through this to exercise your spiritual muscles. That's what they told me. You have to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to rely on God. And then the pastor tells me, and I, I miss the days when I relied on God like that. And I'm going, I don't. I, I, I mean, whatever, whatever your church bank account's at right now, don't miss these days, right? But, there, but he's right. God's forming me, still forming me, in certain trials, and I believe that if we're honest, there are times where God's testing us. He's allowing adverse situations to come in for our spiritual formation. Now, here's the good news, is that God is allowing it. It's like with Job. Remember the story of Job? And with Job, Satan, it's a weird, it's a weird story, but Satan comes into the courts of God and says, hey, what about Job? Job only worships you for the stuff that you give him. You remember this? And God says, no, that's not true. And God allows Satan to take things from Job, but just not his life. And when you read Job, you're, you're faced quickly with the reality. You go, do I worship God for the stuff that he gives me, for the health and the wealth and all? Do I only worship God when it's good? Or do I worship God because God's God? Just because he's God. Just because he's good. Not because he gives me good things. It's so easy. It's so easy to worship God while you're waiting when the bank account's full and the health is at an all-time high and the relationships are thriving and the grades are good. You see, that's easy. That's not, that doesn't take a lot of practice. What's hard is when you go, I don't, I don't know why this is happening, but I worship you not because you're going to give me something in the end, but because you're you, because you're God, and I trust you. And if this is a test, sharpen me, teach me. If it's not a test, change it as soon as you can. That's a really hard reality of waiting, and I think that's where Joseph was. He was being tested. He was. So let me answer a question that I know I'm thinking when I go through the story, and, and maybe you are. Here's, here's my question. How do I know, how do I know that I am waiting with God? 
How do I know this? How do I know? Well, here, here's what I say. First of all, waiting on God really just, just means this. You're not going outside of God to resolve the issue, okay? Waiting on God means you're not, you're not taking that route. Here's how you kind of know that things are, um, that you're waiting with God. And this is out of Isaiah, okay? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. I'm going to read this to you, so just use your imagination as I read this. It says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God? So justice is when you're going, things aren't the way that they should be, and I'm waiting. I'm in a waiting game with God. So he, the, the Isaiah is saying, why are you saying this? To which I would say, we've all said this if we wait on God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints nor is weary? So if you go, God's sleeping. I'm like knocking on heaven's door and I hear dead bolts on the other side. I, God is not active. That's not true. The scripture is saying he's, he never gets tired of you. He never gets tired of your prayers and he's not growing weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So when I am in a waiting time, I'm looking around, and I'm asking other people who are equally in a waiting time, I'm going, what do you think is going on? What do you think is going on? That's totally fine. But at the end of the day, I'm going, but his understanding is unsearchable. You do not have the capacity. Okay, this is like explaining mathematics to an ant. Okay, they do not have the capacity to search the depths of multiplication and division. You do not have the capacity to search the mind of God. But it doesn't mean that you can't petition and that you shouldn't do that. And then it says this, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So here's how you know, okay? Here's how you know that you are waiting with God. One is you mount up on wings like eagles. Um, those who wait on the Lord. E eagles, when they have e eaglets, eaglets, I think that's actually right. When, when eagles have babies and they build this nest, what they do is underneath the nest, underneath the leaves in the nest, they'll actually put sharp sticks, sharp objects underneath leaves so that as the eagle, eaglets get heavier and they start to feel, you know, the weight of like they're being pricked from all different places, okay? They're getting uncomfortable, or they'll just remove the leaves if they're not getting uncomfortable enough to get the eaglets to leave the nest. This is what they do to teach them to fly. Well, here's the problem. Eaglets don't always exercise their wings enough, and so they're pushed out of the nest because it's so uncomfortable, and then they try to fly, but as they're trying to fly and they're diving, there's, their wings aren't working, and they're not getting any momentum, and then what happens? Like eagle wings, on eagle's wings, the mom eagle comes down and catches them with their talons, brings them back to the nest, and they do it again. Over and over and over again to teach them, get ready to leave the nest. Get ready to leave the nest. But there's a, there's a reality of the, the, the mom eagle is waiting if there is a crash and burn situation to just pick them up. And there's situations I know in my life where I go, I don't know where the help came from, but there's some sort of help that actually came my way. That I, I felt the hand of God. I felt the hand of God come down when I felt like I was falling and pick me up. And it was like this. It was as if God was saying, I'm not going to change the situation right now, but I am here, right? I am here. I'm teaching you. Henry Nouwen, who is a great author, who's died 
uh, been dead for a few years now. He wrote a book, one of his last books, called Sabbatical Journeys. And he had two friends who were trapeze artists. One was a flyer, one was a catcher. Okay? You know, trapeze, right? One jumps, one let go. Okay, so there, and there, he, he writes in, in Sabbatical Journeys, he writes about the one that's the flyer. The one that's the flyer has to let go with full trust, 100% trust that they're going to be caught. If they try to become the catcher in the process, that's what he writes about. If they try to act like the catcher and they try to maneuver in a different way and catch a hold of the, everything's going to fall. They're going to fall. Okay, so in the circus act, when you see two trapeze artists, the flyer has to have 100% trust in the catcher. And the catcher has to do their job. Well, the good news is you will mount up on wings like eagles. You will be caught. Doesn't mean the situation will always be trained. You will be caught, okay? This is one way that you know you're waiting with God. Here's another way that you know. They will run and not get tired. This is like as if you get a second wind, okay? Let me, let me tell you something that happened to me recently. I, I climbed my first 14er, okay? You should be proud of me. You don't have to cheer because I didn't... I, I'll tell you in a second, okay? But I, I did climb it. When I'm climbing it, I remember, ah, it's probably two hours in. And for those of you that are like, how long did it take? It's not important, but two hours into my climb, there's uh, this guy that's running. He's running up the hill, and I'm going, I don't, nobody likes you. It, nobody, there's a reason why I have friends climbing with me. No, this is not true, because some of you are actually capable of doing this. This is me being jealous. And, and, and he's running up, and I'm going, how does he not get tired? How does he not get tired? How does he not get weary? And then I actually start thinking about this verse. I start going, it is possible that God gives you this second wind, that you look back at your life and you go, how did I make it past that? I don't know how I made it through that. There are times I've looked at my life where I go, I was working like four jobs and I'm not sleeping and writing a thesis and how did I make it past that? How was I, so, that was like, that was so bad on my body physically. How did I make it past that? And some of you have been, you, you went through, you're in such a vulnerable state right now, a waiting period with God. And you go, I barely made it past it. But somehow, somehow I haven't grown weary of God. Somehow I'm sitting in the chairs tonight, I'm listening, I worship him, but you go, surely I think I would have died by now. Somehow you didn't. God gave you a special, like a second wind. You run and not grow weary. So if he doesn't come down and pick you up and you go, that was, and that was an amazing help, I unexpected God, that was only God that could have done it. If he doesn't do that, and he doesn't give you the second wind where you go, I'm, I'm still running, I'm still making it, Here's, here's the third way we know, just straight out of Scripture. You will walk and not become weary. All right. Let me tell you about my 14er experience. You ready? I walked. I walked the whole thing, but then I did become weary. I was walking, and I had three other friends with me, and we took the backside of Pikes Peak. In fact, I was texting Chase the night before, because Chase has done all of the 14ers, right, in one summer? How many are there? 58. 58. I did one. So Chase, I'm texting him the night before, and I'm going, man, I'm, I actually was nervous. I'm like, hey, Chase, I'm a little nervous. You think I can do this? I, all I got is tennis shoes. He goes, you should be fine. Just be comfortable. He goes, there's fresh donuts at the top, all this stuff, you know, on Pikes Peak, okay, which there are. There are fresh donuts. But by the time you get there, you don't want anything. You just want to die. So <laughs> I'm climbing up the, the back. 
And, uh, and remember what the verse is saying. You will walk and not become weary. Okay, you'll walk and not become weary. There's this idea, there's a point in this journey where I go, if I was by myself, I promise you I would have quit. I don't know what it is about having other people there with you. I don't, I don't actually think it's a pride thing. You go, you're too proud. No, I, I, I think it's a camaraderie thing. I think we're just so glued together, the process. And we're climbing and we're walking and are we tired? I mean, exhausted. Eight hours in and we're not to the summit, okay? This is the backside of Pikes Peak. It was more difficult than the front. What are, it did take us longer than it take you, okay? So we're walking up and I just remember there's points where I'm, I'm holding on to my trekking poles and I'm leaning on them like this. My head is pounding. And one of the guys goes, what's wrong with you? I said, my head is going to explode and I'm tired, but I'm not going to give up. We're going to make it to the summit. We're going to get there. So I, we're walking up, we're walking up, we're walking up. And, we're, and, and there's a point to where one of the guys, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, started crying, okay? Because... They're just going, this is so hard. They, they said other words, but they're, what they're trying to tell you is this is difficult, and no one else heard. It's kind of that thing like if a tree falls in the forest, no one's around. So, so anyway, so did he say the word? I don't know. So he's, we're like walking up. We're walking up. And we get to this part where there's boulders, and you've got to climb. And I'm looking, and I'm going, oh, I cannot do this. I've eaten all my food. I've burned so much energy. My water was low. I know Chase said there's donuts. I don't want donuts. I just want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. But then you got to go about another mile. And when we get to the top, or as we're getting along, the only thing that kept me walking was my friends. The only thing that kept me going was my friends. I actually would have quit long before that. And part of waiting on God, if, if God doesn't swoop down and, and like directly intervene in a way, which you, you probably have experienced that in some way, but obviously he hasn't done that in the current situation you're thinking about. If he doesn't do that, and if you don't have the second wind to just keep going, the only way that you'll be able to wait on God is with your friends. This is why we come together with church. This is why we have meetups. This is why we do life together. It is too hard for you to do it on your own. I promise you, you will not be able to walk life on your own. The only way is that you'll have someone who will, and they don't have to have the answer. By the way, having the answer could be the worst thing you can do sometimes. The only way is that you have someone with trekking poles that says, let's take 10 more steps, and then we'll stop. If you need a refill of water, we can drink water. Whatever you need to do, we can do it. That's the only way. Um, Lisa, will you come up with your band, and then we're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer. What I want you to know is when you think waiting on God is the worst, okay, here's what I think is actually worse than that, is wishing you had waited on God. I think what's worse is trying to shortcut the divine plan that God has. I've never known a Christian, a serious Christian, a serious Jesus follower who hasn't had um, interruptions in their life on their way to their destiny, on their way to their destination, on the way to what they believe God has promised. I've never known someone who hasn't had interruptions, big interruptions in their life. So I just want to let you know you are in good company. If you go, this is the big interruption. It's like it's never gone away. Okay, I've, 
I've never known, and I don't know what exactly you're going through, but what I do know is this. When we're waiting on God, he will renew your strength in different ways. One will be you will mount up on wings like eagles. It's as if God directly intervened, okay? That's one way which we've seen that happen in our life. We don't see that happen all the time in our life, but that's one way. Another way is that you go, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm making it. I got this second wind. I'm, I'm able to run the race and not give up. I'm able to fight the good fight. And then the third one is walking. It's like the least sexy option of them all, right? It's just walking and not growing weary. You go, I'm weary, but you haven't stopped. You actually haven't got so weary that you've stopped the journey. You're walking. So here's what happened when we got to the top of the mountain. We get to the top, and I go, I cannot walk down. <laughs> okay? Now, the convenient thing is Pikes Peak and, and Mount Evans are the two where cars are constantly driving up. So uh, my other friend said, I can't walk down either. Then the other two who've done this a ton, they go, what, what do you mean you can't? What's the other option? And I just said, I will hitchhike with a stranger. <laughs> I mean, I am so tired. My body, I'm, you guys, which I, I found out, I thought it was a level one. The, the person up there told me that on the backside, it's a level two going on three out of four, is what they told me. I don't know if that's true, but I, I feel more heroic if that's true. So Chase, I don't want to know like, if that's true or not. So, but, but I'm up there, I'm exhausted, and this is what he said. He goes, he, my friends go, we have to walk down. And I said, no, there's got to be another option. I literally and physically, in I will roll down and die if this is the only thing I can do. So I go up to the clerk, and I said, hey, what do I do? And they said, well, there's a shuttle that goes up and down from the mountain, and the shuttle, oh, the shuttle stopped at 3. It's 3.15. And I'm going like, oh, well, I'll sleep here. I'm not kidding when I say, and then they go, maybe there's a nice person that will take you down. Cause, and then there's this couple checking out right there. And I look at them. I, I can't do a puppy face, but like I'm telling you. And they, they go, uh, we can give you a ride. And to me and my friend, right? And, and uh, I said, okay. They go, you're not going to kill us, right? And I said, that's what I told them. I said, I'm too tired. <laughs> that's my response. I'm too tired to kill you. So we get in the car. I see it's on a Christian radio station. And I go, you guys Christians? They go, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, good. Good. We're fine. I don't have to worry about this. Like you're, you're legit. Yeah, yeah, you're Christians. Okay, so we're going down talking. And then, and then we go, well, what are we going to do when we get to the bottom of the hill? We're in Colorado Springs. We have to Uber back to Denver. It's going to be so expensive to Uber back to Denver. And then my friend John calls his, texts his friend John, which is right here. This is John from Colorado Springs. And uh, texts his friend John and said, John, can you please take us to Colorado or to Denver? Can you please do that? Do and I'm thinking, I don't care how, like, you better know this man good for them to drive in five o'clock traffic, us to Denver. And the couple drops us off, and there's John waiting. I not met, I've never met John before in my life until last week. And I'm like, John Jay, how well do you guys know each other? You've hung out, what, twice? And I'm going, oh, this is what it means to be in community. This is what it means to walk and not grow weary, that when you say, I'm about ready to stop waiting on God, I'm about ready to give up on this thing, that you have a brother or sister in the kingdom of God who says, I can carry you. I can take you a little further. I can help you. It could be through a word of encouragement. It could be through a sermon. It could be through saying, you need a place to stay. You can stay with us. We have a basement. It could be through, you need a job. We can help you. We can help you. We can carry you. I know you're waiting on the Lord. It's what it means. It's hard, 
but it takes the people of God to help us wait on God. So what I'm trying to say is when your life feels completely average, when you're waiting on God, you know, I'm just waiting, I'm just waiting and waiting, and if you feel so average, nothing exceptional about your journey, may you know that God says, hey, I will save you like an eagle saves eaglets. May you know that God will give you a second wind. And when none of that's happening, the people in this room, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will say, I'll carry you like a moving sidewalk. Bring all your luggage there and let's just stand for a little bit. Just keep making progress. Just keep making progress. So let's pray together. Can we stand? If you're in this room and you feel like you're being tested by God or you feel like he's allowed this test would be a better way to put it he's allowed this test to come into your life what we're going to do in a second I'm going to list a few things and then if this hits home with you you move to the side just over here over here for prayer you just say I just need prayer I need somebody I need the John driving the car from Colorado Springs to Denver. I need somebody to pray with me and to tell me to not give up. That's all I need. I need that. And if they have a word from the Lord for me, I need them to speak that to me. I need that. So if you're here and you go, I am so tired of waiting on God. I, everything about this situation feels average. Nothing feels exceptional. It doesn't feel like the miraculous is going on. It's, I am so tired of waiting on God. I need someone to speak life into me. If that's you, you can move to the side. You just take a step to this side or to this side, okay? Or if you're here and you say, um, something happened that I know I'm in a waiting period now. Something happened. Broken relationships, jobs, those are the easy ones that we can talk about because they feel fresh to so many of us. But then there are deeper things that you say, I'm, I've been, I'm in a waiting season, and, uh, and I just want to recognize that with someone. I just want to know I'm in this season, but God's presence and power is with me. I want to recognize that with someone. Then you can move to the side. And if you're here and you've never actually followed this Jesus-looking God that we talk about, and you've never, you actually never surrendered to him, and you go, I've been trying to do life on my own. I didn't know that there's a God who says, hey, I will be with you in all things. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I, you go, I don't know that there's, I thought this journey was just me trying to, like, like just soldier on through the whole entire thing. And, and, you, and you say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, and I want to follow him on my average day, on my exceptional day. I want to worship him because he's him. Not because my situation's good, but I just want to worship. If that's you, then you step to the side. So any of those three things, you're so tired, you're about ready to give up. You say, I've entered a season of waiting, or you say, I'm going to start following Jesus, and I'm going to let him be Lord of my life and worship him. Any of those three, move to the side for prayer. You could take communion is another way we'll respond, or you can stand in worship. So we're going to take a few minutes to do that, okay? And I just ask you, be honest, because you can't do this on your own. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us life. And you can have a world without us in it, but because we're here and because you're sovereign and you're the king over all, you didn't want that world. And so we now, God, come to you saying, help us be bold and vulnerable. Help us to speak life into one another. And we worship you for who you are for the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Move to the side, take communion, and worship.